The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Can we all open our Bibles? We're going to turn to Matthew chapter uh, 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, Jay can help you get one from up front. Um, we are going to look at Matthew chapter 15 uh, as we are working through the book of Matthew. We just looked at... Um, Obviously, Matthew 14 is last week. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, what we've been doing is I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to look th- uh, and read this passage together uh, as we work through the, the chapter together. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Uh, Father, as we turn now to your word, uh, we're grateful for how you meet us and strengthen us. And so, Father, I pray that we would experience your grace to know what it means to be a part of your family, how Jesus changes everything for being in your family. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever um, visited somebody's house and kind of been confronted by uh, different house rituals and what you have, or different house traditions and what you have. Some people, uh, shoes off, shoes on, you know what I mean? Like you go, you're like, okay, do I take my shoes off? Do I take my shoes off? Or I'll peep them on. Um, or when you sit down for dinner, uh, you have different uh, ways in which you kind of engage meals, right? You know, some people hold hands for the death of all the introverts among us, right? They, they hold hands while they pray. Um, and some people, thankfully, don't hold hands <laughs> when they pray. Um, or I remember when Michelle and I were dating, I would go over to her parents' house and um, for dinner, and uh, they had plastic, like hard plastic, like a like an iPad plastic placemat. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Her mom's British. Apparently, it's a British thing to have like hard plastic placemats. So we have different traditions, right? As families, like they have different ways in which they uh, we do things. And uh, if you're maybe walking in on a bad moment, you walk in on uh, family arguments that have that you don't quite understand because they're all kind of uh, there's traditions that in history and baggage that you're just totally unfamiliar with, and you ask for the potatoes, and somehow that turns into <laughs> a big thing about that thing that happened 20 years ago. That's so what the way this this chapter feels like is if this chapter feels like walking into the middle of a family argument that you don't quite understand, right? This middle of this family argument that is a bit of a peculiar one because we're going to be looking at this and the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the time, are going to be angry about hand washing, <laughs> right? And you're going to be like, what is the deal? Because it's like hand washing and then Jesus goes all nuclear option on them. Like he just like doesn't hold back the punches. But what we're looking at here is a whole chapter about the nature of what it means to be a part of God's family, right? All those kind of like traditions and things that you do, those kind of like are family identifiers. Those are kind of things that show us, this is what it means to be a part of God's family. And Jesus cares very deeply about what it means to be a part of God's family. What does it mean to belong to God and be in his family? And so he's not going to be holding any punches. As we walk into this chapter, he's not holding any punches so that we know what it means to be a part of his family, to surrender to Jesus is to join a new global family. That's the main point of what we're looking at. To surrender to Jesus is to join a new global family. And Jesus is going after the traditions, the identifiers, and the meal of what it means to be a part of the family of the day so that we get a better sense, a deeper sense, a richer sense of what it means to be a part of Jesus' family. Because uh, in what we're looking at, 
Jesus is building a new family, a global and diverse family. They're united around one thing. They're united around him and nothing else. So we're going to be looking at, we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 15. And what does it mean to surrender to Jesus, right? Is that, that's the main point, surrender to Jesus to join a new global family. We surrender to Jesus by receiving the family rules. That's the, one, that's the first thing we're going to be looking at. So let's, let's pick up in verse 1. Verse 1, uh, I'll read the chat, I'll read the verse, through verse 2, and then we'll stop and, stop and make a few comments. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Again, <laughs> this is like sitting down to dinner, like, whoa. Like, we're like, like, they went from zero to 60 real fast. What's the big deal? So with the time, what was going on is that the religious leaders, they had, a, they had a, a law in the Old Testament that said any priest who serves in the temple, right, so the pastors, if they're going to do anything with God's stuff, so sacrificial offerings, moving things around, they had to wash, they had to go through like purity cleansing, right? They had to wash their hands, right? And it wasn't because they knew about hygienics. It was just because they were washing off the dirt, right? And so they said, well, here's the law, and we're going to expand that to everybody because, well, if the priests are kind of like the example of what it means to be holy, and they have to do this with God's things, well, let's just up the ante and say everybody wants to be like the priests, and everybody's doing like what the priests are doing. So they took the law, and then they expanded it into a tradition and said, okay, everybody's got to wash their hands whenever they eat anything. There's not the, I mean, it's, it's a good idea, obviously, but <laughs> it's not the command. And so what we're going to be looking at, if we pick up in verse 3, Jesus, he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition, right? So again, here, they're like upping the ante, and Jesus is kind of like, all right, let's just go, <laughs> right? You guys are going at this, let's just take it down. God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever receives, reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone has, tells his father or mother what you do, uh, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. All right, hold on. We'll, we'll swing back to this. Stick with me. You hypocrites. You did, um, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So we're going to pause here and just kind of make a few comments. What was going on is Jesus is responding to their thing about, all right, you need to wash your hands before you eat, uh, because that's, that's a, they were saying that's what God commands. There's a whole tradition, and Jesus was saying, okay, that is a whole part of a tradition that is supplanting God's priorities for people's lives. Um, and the way he did that is he kind of went around them to this other argument, because they, they developed this tradition, and so the fifth... Uh, Fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. That's what Jesus is going after, right? Honor your father and mother. And they had made this tradition of saying, well, you know what? If you have all this money and possessions um, and, you, and you commit it to the temple to be, belong to God, sorry, don't, no retirement for your parents, right? That's the kind of the way it worked. You, you follow what it, the commandment was honor your father and mother. And the way that would kind of work out is you take care of your parents and their retirement. And they said, the priest has said, well, if you really want to give your money to God, that would be a really holy thing um, because we'll get that money, <laughs> right? There's a little bit of a self-interest on the priest's part. They would say, well, you can, give, you can dedicate that money to God and then 
you can't give that money, that money to your parents because it's been dedicated to God, and you don't want to take stuff away from God, do you? Like, that's kind of the way the tradition worked, and uh, it was taking one thing, yeah, we want to give to God, and it was applying it in an oppressive and uh, suffocating way, right? Because they kind of became spiritual loan sharks, right? They were saying, uh, they're suckering people into giving, uh, giving up their money to God, but then they were vi- that, that meant that they were no longer fulfilling the commandment to honor your father and mother, right? That was, that was the purpose of the command, was to, to live out life, to serve and love your parents. And they developed this tradition of basically kind of getting around how to love your parents. So Jesus, so you're not always pulling the pun- not pulling the punch of saying like, look, you guys are like totally jacked up because uh, this is not what God intended. And then you're teaching tradition as though it's what God intended. He then drives at the heart of the issue, right? So we'll pick up in verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Like, oh, no kidding. He answered, every plant that my father, that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit. But Peter said, Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. This is kind of confusing. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile anyone. Right? See, Jesus is going at the heart of the issue because the practices that they developed, right, uh, why don't you give all your money to God? Wash your hands before the meal, just like the priests. They were trying to extend out God's commands to cover everything in life, to develop all these practices as a way of, uh, as a way of trying to grow in their holiness. But Jesus is saying, look, you're not getting at the heart of what it means to be devoted to God by developing these little practices. Because at the heart of the day, with the bad things that we do, they, they come out of the heart. They don't, it's not kind of like you like uh, get spiritually kind of like infected by being around bad things, <laughs> right? I don't know if you've noticed this with public apologies that happen for guys like politicians and they do something bad. They're like, "I'm really sorry um, if anybody was offended. I'm really sorry uh, about any damage that was done." Right? What they're doing when they say it like that is they're distancing themselves from owning that the problem came from them, right? It's like, "Sorry, I didn't mean for." money laundering to have this negative effect upon you, well, <laughs> it didn't just kind of happen to have this negative effect. It was a wrong decision. It was a, a sinful decision. And often the way that we treat kind of um, this holiness dynamics is we actually are, are distancing ourselves from dealing with the deep issue, right? The deep issue, Jesus is saying, right? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds, verse, verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Jesus is saying, it's not just that you do bad things. It's just that we, we are bad. Like, that's, that's the point. <laughs> Jesus is saying, it's not just that Jacob Young, pastor of King's Cross Church, does bad things occasionally. It's that Jacob Young is bad. And that my heart is the main, 
problem of my life. It's not just that I yell at my kids or get angry or impatient or anxious. It's just that my heart is at the core of it. Your heart at the core of it is where the issues are. It's not just that we do bad things, it's that we are bad. So Jesus, when he's saying this, he's saying like, look, all your practices, your practices are like little band-aids to a gaping wound that's going on deep inside us. But the problem is not to minimize, the, the practices are not necessarily the inherent problem, right? Because the commands that God gives on your father and mother, don't commit adultery, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know, all those, those are actually good for us. Because they, they don't just tell us what to do, they actually reveal the heart of God. They say, God is a loving God who loves to care for people. He's a saving God. He's a God who, who honors you and, and designed you to be healthy and, and good and delight in his eyes. Right? It's the sin in our hearts that defiles us. He, God who loves purity. He is pure. A God who, who loves uh, to bless and to, and, and, to, and to heal us. It's the heart of the issue that's the problem. Right? We, we are minimizing the heart issue when we focus on all these practices. And we do this as, uh, this happens all the time in Christian circles, right? Um, how you think about uh, purity, how you think about dating, how you think about, I mean, you could pick any topic, right? Par- parenting, how you think about um, how you do your devotions, how you, um, how you think about giving money away, how you think about politics. Um, right? Christians have this practice of kind of saying like, well, we're supposed to honor God with our lives, and to do that, you need to, you know, whatever. I, I always pick on Old Navy as kind of like the place the Christians shop, but it's like, <laughs> that's not what I, it, Old Navy's great. I shop there. But um, we make these practices as ways of honoring God, right? We want to honor God, right? Because like recently I've been talking about, look, we need to be doing our, our devotions because the principle is we want to lo- know God's word and receive God's word and enjoy God's word. And the practice is doing daily devotions, right? It's, that's a practice. The, what Jesus is going after is the, this principle versus practice dynamic. And this is where I, whenever everybody asks me a question of like, how do we think about this stuff? Oh, and stop that. Thank you. Please put that down. When it, we talk about principles and practices, um, the principle is we, we want to enjoy God's word. The practice is devotions, right? Or um, the principle is uh, we want to honor God with our, our marriage and our relationships. And so uh, with our marriage, we, we want to have a healthy marriage. And the practice is like date nights, right? Or something like that. Where it's, but what happens over time is that people feel like, uh, well, if I don't do the practice, I somehow am lesser than if, I don't do, if we don't do date nights, our marriage is lesser than. If I don't do devotions on a regular basis, I'm a lesser than Christian. If I don't parent the same way other people parent, I'm a lesser than Christian. If I don't, and that's not the intention of, of God, what God holds out for our family value, as a family values of what it means to be Jesus' family. What he says is, honor me, obey me, enjoy your relationships, Right? Protect those around you who are weak. The, 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 those are the commands of God, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The way we live that out, it's kind of an open-handed issue, right? So we, we have to be careful. Our, 
Our practices are, are what ways we develop to try to wisely obey God's word, the family rules, right? But they're not directly God's commands, right? There's nothing in the Bible that says you must do a date night or, there must, or um, you, know, you must do missional community every week. Or Practices are good when they help us to joyfully obey God's commands and family rules, but practices are evil when they become a burden and oppressive. Right, so we want to be careful about this, guys. We want, we, want to, we want to aim towards growing together, but we want to be open-handed about the way people practice applying God's word in their lives. We, we've got to be real careful about this. Uh, we, like I mentioned, we see it a lot of time with schooling preferences or parenting or political views. The reality is that Jesus' family is the one that's going to last forever, and his, his rules are really clear. So let's be open-handed about the practices of how we do that together. Because we want to be sure that as a family, we don't become somehow like snooty. Maybe you experience that, right? People that hold their practices up and like other Christians, like well, you, the pastor doesn't wear a tie when he preaches. Or the skirts are not long enough or too high. Or the Bible version is different or the Facebook page is whatever. You know, I'm trying to think of like ridiculous things, right? But we want to be careful that we're aiming at God's, God's rules as our, as our family dynamic, as, the, as receiving God's rules as our family rules and not just exalting family traditions into family rules. You guys following what I'm... All right, cool. You guys cool if we move on? All right, we're going to pick up verse uh, 21. Receiving the family identity. The ways we surrender to Jesus is not only receiving the family rules... We surrender to Jesus by receiving the family ID. We're going to pick up in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. So this is where we're getting into a bit of... The way I want you to hear this is, have you ever had uh, a t- be in a class or a teacher where they're like, they're pressing you, they're p- playing a bit of like the devil's advocate type position, you know, like, okay, I'm going to press you because I know that there's something here that I want you to, to realize. So Jesus is not being harsh because he's a mean guy. He's pressing the point to help her show a type of faith that he's trying to draw us into. But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came to him and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Like, you get, like, this desperation of, like, they're trying to deal with the situation, and it's like, Jesus, help us out. Throw us a bone, bro. He answered, her, he answered I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but she, is, um, but she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Sorry, that's a bit of a harsh statement, right? If you guys came to me and said, hey, Jacob, could you spend some time with me? And it's like, well, sorry, it's not good for me to throw my time away to dogs. <laughs> like, whoa, All right? Again, these are like, the tensions are getting heightened, right? And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. See, Jesus has been pressing her, and this is the point, verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Right? Jesus, he wasn't being mean for the sake of being mean. He was being, he was pressing the point to draw out this dynamic of verse 28, right? 
Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. He's drawing out the, the quality and type of faith that she has as he's laying out for us. What does it mean to be a part of God's new and global family? There's something about her faith that he pulls out that we are trying to get into. So I, I want to point out something here. We kind of, we read over it, but we'll, let's turn back. Remember, so Jesus just gone from being in a, uh, the Jewish area, the, the, the Israel, and he's gone out into Gentile territory, right? It's hard for us to appreciate the nature of what that means, but it, it's, I mean, he's going from homeland to enemy territory. He's going from where he knows, uh, where he's accepted, to the impure people that he shouldn't be a part of, right? That's kind of the, the, the nature of the, the relationship. And one of these people that should not, uh, that he should not be around, according to the customs of the time, comes to him and says, in verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. O Lord, son of David. Right? Here's this phrase that this person who's not a Jew, who hasn't been to Bible studies or hasn't gone to Sunday service or Saturday service all the time, uh, she is calling out with this Bible knowledge that she shouldn't have. Right? And uh, she's using this phrase, O Lord, son of David, uh, pulling... Uh, from this idea in the Old Testament that, that God was going to send his send another David, send the son of David to be the king over his people, to be the new king that's going to lead them. And actually, there's there's a lot going on here that's similar to Isaiah 34. So we're going to, um, did, we, did we cut out the slides? This Isaiah 34 is, uh, is this chapter where God is uh, rebuking the leaders of the time. Right, Isaiah 34 actually this starts out by saying, uh, "You, your priests, uh, they're being bad shepherds, and they're they're uh, fleecing my sheep. Right, they're they're uh, making it harder for weak people. They're not healing the people they should be healing. They're not helping the people they should be helping." Which seems very similar to the beginning of the chapter of 30 uh, uh, of Matthew 15, where Jesus is saying, "You guys are making it harder for my people to to know me and walk with me." So we have here in Isaiah 34. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. This is verse 15. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then down to, can we go down to the next slide here? And down verses 22 through 24, here's what God says. I will rescue my flock. Right, this is just like at the beginning of or the section we're looking at where Jesus goes out. Jesus doesn't, never just kind of like happens. Or, he's always going somewhere for a purpose. I will rescue my flock. They, will no longer, uh, they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them, here's our point, one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their, their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. See, what's going on in Ezekiel 34 is God is saying, look, all these pastors and priests of the time, they are doing a horrible job <laughs> of doing what I've asked them to do. Right? They're not leading my people the way they should be. They're not helping my people the way they should be. So here's the deal. I'm just going to take over. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my guy in charge, and he's going to be my servant. He's going to heal He's going to rescue and restore and save. And he's not only going to do that as just a good guy. He's going to be the king. 
He's going to be the new king who's going to set up a new kingdom, and he's going to be my son who's going to set up a new family. And you see, the funny thing here is that this is God saying this about his servant, and then Jesus saying, I'm the guy. So when we get back to Matthew 15, and this woman says, right, verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. There's more going on there than just merely like, hey, help me out. She is saying, I can only depend on you for help. I can only depend on you for leading and guiding and healing. I can only depend on you for everything I need. You're the one that God's put in place to be our king and our guide and our father. Jesus, oh Lord, son of David, help me. Because she knows more deeply about Jesus than maybe even she realizes, right? Right, you see verse 22, 25, and 27. What is she doing? She's crying out. She's saying, yep, I'm a dog, <laughs> right? So she's, she's, she's not coming to him like saying, look how great I am. She's coming to him absolutely desperate. And what Jesus says, says, verse 28, right? Oh, woman, great is your faith. He's looking at the whole thing. He's saying, you know you're weak and helpless and dependent. And you know who I am. That's the type of faith that Jesus loves. Right? It's not because her faith is so great or she's so great. It's because her faith clings to and is set on the object of her faith, which is who? Jesus. Jesus and all that he is all of his love and compassion and his goodness. It is set on him and it clings to him and it owns him and it absolutely depends on him for everything. Right? That's, that's the family ID. The family ID is not, oh, we've got good faith. The family ID is a faith set on Jesus alone for everything that we need, for life and joy and happiness and forgiveness of sins and the enjoyment of God and the, the, the freedom to engage God's creation to enjoy his good gifts to us. It's set on Jesus alone for our help and our hope. <laughs> that's, that's why the family idea actually leads to, that's, that's why we baptize believers. We don't baptize babies because they don't have faith. <laughs> we baptize believers because they have the family ID. The family ID is not baptism. The family ID is faith in Jesus, and we recognize that faith by baptism. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a wedding ring, right? Like, I, I can take this off. Believe it or not, I'm still married to Michelle. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. I'm still married to Michelle. But I put the ring on as a recognition of our marriage, right? Baptism is a recognition of, that we love and rest in and enjoy Jesus for our family ID. This is who we want. This is who we are. He is everything about us. So just by the way, if you've trusted in Christ and you haven't been baptized, let's dunk you, okay? Let's <laughs> Let's do it this summer, all right? Let's set it up. We'll set up a, we'll set up a, a big pool, and we'll make it happen, right? Because we want to recognize the faith, the family ID that we, that, that, rest in, that, that we have. And this is what this means for our lives, right? Martin Luther, I don't know if you know who Martin Luther is. He, uh, was a, he started the Protestant Reformation over 500 years ago, uh, nailed 95 beefs with the Catholic Church at the time, uh, nailed them to a church door to have an argument, at the end of his life, after he had died, somebody found a piece of paper in his pocket. And in that pocket it said, this is true. We are all beggars. Right? For, for our lives, what this means is that at the end of the day, 
what the family ID means, faith means we are all absolute beggars for God's goodness and mercy. We are all equal. We never get out of being a beggar of life. <laughs> we all wake up every morning in desperate begging need for God's help. We all wake up, God, I can't pull it together this week. I can't pull it together today. I can't do this without you. And what God does, just like Jesus, he looks and he says, I love that type of faith. I love weak and broken and needy faith. God says to you, I love people who are beggars and needy. That's the type of people that Jesus loves to bless. So as a, as a family, a church, a church family, you're never going to get out of needing faith for Jesus. You're never going to need out of, get out of needing a begging faith for God. Would you just help me for one more day? You're never going to grow out of being a total beggar for Jesus' help. But you know what? Jesus is never going to outgrow his love and compassion for you, his love and desire to help you, his love and desire to give you mercy. Right? So, so what is it that you're facing this week where you're like, Jesus, I just don't know if I can do this this week. The, the pressures, the, the family tension, the relational problems, the work problems, maybe the, the not having a work problems. Jesus looks at that and he says, I love that type of faith. I love the faith that needs me because it depends on me to provide. It, prevent, it shows that Jesus is the one who's the winner at the end. Receive the family idea of faith, it focuses on the good shepherd, right? And when you receive from him, you'll enjoy the blessings of knowing his mercy to you. So we're going to pick up on the last, last section of this chapter. Surrendering to Jesus is the way to join a new global family. We've kind of been talking, we've kind of been talking a little bit around this. Because Jesus has been going from a Jewish area to a Gentile area. And we're kind of kind of picking up the idea that, okay, Jesus is multi-ethnic, multicultural, but we're going to see it more clearly here as we're looking at receiving the family meal as a third way that, we, that Jesus holds out for us to surrender to him. So we're going to pick up in verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healed, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified God, the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowds because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where, um, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed the great, so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven, and a, small, and, a, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they looked up, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So this, if you if you remember when he fed the five thousand, this is going to sound very familiar. This is, there's going to be some real key parts of this. That you're going to realize, like, wow, this, 
there's, it's almost like Jesus is going out of his way to say, these two miracles of feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000 are exactly the same. They're not the same event, but they're intended to have the same purpose, right? What we're seeing in chapter 14, right, the chapter before this, is that this wasn't just kind of like some magic show that Jesus did. He was trying to say, look, I am saving my people, just like Moses led people out of Exodus and provided for them, uh, by, by God provided for them, um, by miracle food. Jesus is bringing people to himself in a non-Jewish setting, right? A multi-ethnic setting and saying, all of you come to me. I'm drawing you to myself to make a new people and I'm going to break the bread and give it to you, provided out of my own power. Because <laughs> remember how we're picking up on this, even from last week, right? Where it counts the women and children, right? Verse 38, and there are 4,000 men besides women and children. That's the exact same way the Exodus counts the women and the, the people, men, women, and children. In Exodus, he is intentionally saying, my people are not just people of one ethnicity. My people are drawn from all ethnicities to be my people who are focused on me because I provide for them, right? He's doing the same miracle in the Jewish setting and the Gentile setting and saying, everybody, everybody's welcomed in. Everybody from whatever your background is, whatever the needs are, right? That's why, that's why we include it here, verses 29 to, 30, to 31, all the needs, all the baggage, everybody with all the different types of needs and baggages, all the different, different skin types, all the different cultural types Jesus brings into one family to have a family meal together. Are you, you picking up on that? Verses chapter 14 has a family meal of God's covenant people. And then chapter 15, he has a, a meal with the people who are not a part of that family. And he says, I'm the new head of the family. I'm the new head of the table. And I want to provide for everybody. Right? Everybody is welcomed into one family meal. God is building a new global family of Jesus where anybody who submits to Jesus gets in. Right? This, again, remember at the beginning of the chapter, it started out with what are the markers of what it means to be a part of God's family. And here we have at the end of the chapter, Jesus saying, here's what it means to be a part of my family. Submit to me. And the way this works out, right? even the ethnic dynamic, who's in, who's out, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, right? that's, that still continues to go on in the early church, even to the point where the they had to have a whole council in chapter 15 of the book of Acts to say, okay, enough of this, right? The cultural markers of washing hands and all that stuff, we're done with that. So even in chapter 2 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has to hit at this again, where he, uh, he lays out, but now in Christ, he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles, the people that Jesus went to, now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members, pick up on this language, of the household of God. Everybody, everybody's brought in. It will not be a one pigment <laughs> styled family. It will not be a one cultural style family. It will be a multi-ethnic global family, all of whom focus on Jesus. So that when we, remember, we were learning this last week, right? When he does this miracle of breaking the bread and giving it out, it's a, it's a picture of the Lord's Supper. So when we take the Lord's Supper, guys, we are saying in the Lord's Supper, Jesus, you are the one that provides everything for me. You provide everything for me. But it's not just a personal thing. We're, Jesus, you provide everything for people who look to you and depend on you. 
and we join a global family meal, right? So the believers in Hawaii who are about to have their worship service, we join them in saying, Jesus, you are all we need. To the believers in China and the underground church, we join with them and say, Jesus, you are all that we need. To the people who are, who are in England who've just had their services and then had great tea afterwards, <laughs> Jesus, you are all we need. Right? To the people who are you know, in the skid row of LA, same, Jesus, you are all we need. People who are in Harvard and Ivy League looking to Jesus, Jesus, you are all we need. To the folks who are on the banks of the Amazon who are you know, in huts coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are all, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are joining a gigantic global family table where we come together and say, Jesus, you are all we need. We do, so when we, this isn't just kind of something we do, kind of like, okay, Jacob says we're supposed to do this ritual thing. No, we are saying something to ourselves and to our hearts that not only is Jesus all we need, he gave himself, he died in our place to make us one with himself, but he died so that we would be part of a new global family in him. So we, we are proclaiming Jesus is our identity marker. Jesus is our family meal. Jesus is the one who gives us the family rules because Jesus, not American culture, not European culture, not one brand or another, Jesus alone is the one who defines us and brings us together. Right? I, you guys, just so you know, America will one day be a footnote in the history of God's work in this world, and there will be a whole chapter, maybe even a whole book, about this woman's faith, right? where Jesus says, Jesus answered to the woman, great is your faith, right? Jesus does not say, you are so great, America. <laughs> Jesus says, your faith, because who does it hang on? Jesus. Jesus alone. So when we, when we look at this chapter and we say, surrender to Jesus to join a new global family. It's not about how great we are. It's about how great he is. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this work, we pray that we would be just like these people in the crowds around Jesus, that we would glorify you. We love you, God. We thank you for what you have done to us and in us in Jesus. We thank you for how you've healed us. We thank you for how you've made us your family. And so, Father, we pray that we would enjoy being in your family because of who Jesus is. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.